Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the stories of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. It is the season two finale, and I am hanging out with Laura Hodgson. She is the CEO and founder of Now. It's a fintech startup that enables minority-owned small businesses to grow through its invoice payment solution that really redefines how and when businesses get paid. In this episode, we discuss her entrepreneurial journey as a female founder and the startup story about how and why she co-founded Now with Stacey Abrams, the activist queen and Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. We also talk through the growing pains and lessons learned of starting her own business with Stacey Abrams and talk through their guide for entrepreneurs, which is also highlighted in their new book, Level Up. I'm so excited about this conversation and this episode. Laura is such an inspiration and her work with Stacey Abrams is so admirable. I really hope you enjoy this episode and the season finale of Humans of Fintech. We should always end a season with a total banger. So I'm so excited to have you on the show to close out this season. Thank you so much, Laura, for being here. Thanks. I guess I want to maybe start with your background and the influence it has on your career and you entering the fintech space because you lead with a ton of empathy. And I think it takes time for people to maybe understand how to lead with empathy. So I would just love to learn how you've grasped this and turned it into a fintech company and where that comes from, that inspiration. It's interesting because I think one of the most amazing things about the fintech industry is we don't all come from the same background. That's what makes it so amazing. And that's not true of many industries. Many industries require that you follow a pretty prescribed path of skill development before you can operate in that industry. I don't come from fintech. I, I, I accidentally got into it. But I think that's what brings such a beautifully diverse set of perspectives. And where I think some of the empathy comes from is realizing that innovation always comes from the demand side of a problem, not the supply side. And so my path to fintech was that I had a problem and no one could solve it. And so when you're approaching an industry from the perspective of someone who has suffered with that same problem, it builds empathy because, you know, empathy is the ability to sort of put yourself in the other party's shoes and understand sort of viscerally what they're going through. So my personal path, I started out as an engineer. I'm an aerospace engineer by training. It's great for all the rocket science jokes. But as I came through engineering, what I quickly realized is I love the problem solving of engineering, but I'm a people person. So the idea of being in a lab designing wings for the rest of my life was not going to fit my personality. I had a professor tell me one time, you have an engineering mind and a liberal arts personality. And and when you tell an 18-year-old that, I thought I needed medication because it sounded like schizophrenia. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean I have an engineering mind and a liberal arts personality? But what I came to realize is that that was actually a gift, 
because my engineering mind is always looking for ways to solve impossible problems. But my liberal arts personality means that I'm really, I love people. People are fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always very curious about people first and understanding the problem long before I jump in and start developing a solution. So, you know, coming out of engineering, I made the leap into business because the liberal arts side of me waved waved its hand. <laughs> and I became a serial entrepreneur, which I really think was because I had possibly unmedicated ADD. And anytime <laughs> I see a problem, I just felt the need to solve it. So after Stacey Abrams and I had started a couple of, of companies, we had a problem, and that's that our business was growing so quickly, but it was taking longer and longer to get paid. And everybody told us sort of the obvious, like, oh, you should go get a line of credit or go try factoring. And those didn't work for us. And we thought, well, wait a minute. If everyone has this problem, the existing solutions must not be very good. And so we started our own. I mean, that's how we got into fintech. And, and I think that's an amazing path into fintech. One thing I think that stands out the most is what you said about just doing it together with Stacey Abrams. You both have, I'm sure, plenty of differences, not only on the outside, but I'm sure on the inside too. But to come together Tell us about that story. How did you how did you guys find each other? You the potential rocket, you know, designer and then turned entrepreneur yeah. and then just like the activist queen and democratic nominee for governor <laughs> of Georgia. And it's such an amazing story and to this day like when we started Now account People would look at us and sort of scratch their head and they're like, wait a minute, neither of you are bankers. How did you get here? And neither Stacy nor I come from finance or banking, which is probably why our solution was so described as eloquent. So Stacy and I met in the most unlikely way. We are incredibly different. And we believe that that's our superpower. But we met in 2004. We were both selected to be members of the class of Leadership Atlanta. And I think many cities have similar programs that try to identify current and high potential leaders to bring together from across the community who would not likely meet. And so when you think about who came together, it was everyone from business leaders philanthropic leaders, leaders in the medical space, um, religious leaders, educational leaders. And so our normal lives would not have crossed. We were all sort of working in our own corner of society. And it was just very interesting, this particular program, one of the first sessions that we did together was a race relations weekend. Now, that might not seem abnormal in today's world, but this was 2004. That's probably not what most programs led with. But given that we're Atlanta and Atlanta has kind of this history around race and social justice, that was one of our first sessions. What I did not know going into this session is that there was a master facilitator named Al Vivian, who was C.T. Vivian's son, and he researched every person individually with a goal of figuring out how to make us uncomfortable. Now, I did not know this. So I approached the race relations weekend like many other participants, which was sort of like, I'm good. 
I like all people, right? I don't have any biases. And so I sort of approached it thinking, eh, this is going to be interesting, but I've done these before. Oh my gosh. So in the first day, I will tell you how he made me uncomfortable. And I only know this because he told us later. So we were sitting in a circle and he would go around and ask questions. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I like to talk. So I raised my hand and he would look me directly in the eye and call on someone else. And I thought, why is he not calling on me? It got to the point where I was like the kindergartner. I was following him with my hand, would not call on me all day. And it wasn't until afterwards that he explained he needed me to feel what it felt like to have no voice. And I don't like it. With Stacy, he did the exact opposite. Stacy, most people don't know this, but Stacy's incredibly introverted. She's an incredible speaker, but she derives her energy from being alone and quiet and sort of more introspective. So to her, he did the opposite. He constantly called on her and she didn't want to talk and she didn't have her hand up. She's like, why do you keep calling on me? I don't want to share. I want to listen. Stacy's a great listener. And he finally pushed her to share something she would never share. And she said that she wanted to be president of the United States someday. And I thought, I've used to say that. I want to be president of the United States someday. And I've never met another woman that would say that in public. I have to meet this woman. So when we broke for lunch, me being the extrovert, I attacked her at the buffet line. (laughs) Totally attacked her. I know she thought, who is this over-caffeinated woman who's in my space? But so from the minute we met, we were different and we ended up in the same study group. So we got to work together on problems that were bigger than us. And that's when we realized that our differences were a superpower because the problem is bigger than you and you stay focused on the problem, your differences become a positive, not a negative. It lends itself to almost this like introvert, extrovert partnership, right? That is necessary in most successful companies, right? There's always someone that's like a little bit more on the front lines and and public facing. And then in that balance helps, right? And then someone who's a little bit more introspective and, and I guess almost more like reflective and strategic. Yes, I think you have to have that. Stacey and I always joked that I was the yes and she was the but. (laughs) Because I never saw, I never heard an idea I wasn't intrigued with. I was like, oh, that's interesting. We should look at that. And she was like, but we need to. So she was always the grounding that made sure we were being practical and that we were thinking about what we were doing. But I also think it keeps us both from going off and sort of believing our own perspective without considering other perspectives. So having a person that approaches problems different than you and doesn't try to be you. I don't try to be Stacy. She's a way better Stacy than I would ever be. And and I'm a way better Lara than she would ever be. So I think it's respecting your partner enough to know that while we absolutely respect each other's character and values, the fact that we're different, that's okay, right? That's, a, that's actually great. The journey of female entrepreneurship is difficult. Layer on top finance and technology, and we all know how the money goes, right? It's not typically in the hands of women, especially women founders, and those numbers aren't getting much better today, but it's definitely got to feel 
a whole lot better with a partner there with you. I think regardless of how you know influential and well-known Stacy is and yourself, it, it's still coming together and being a team is so critical to success. I'm sure you do feel that and, and think about like, oh man, if I would have done this by myself, this oh. would be... I never would have done it myself. I don't think I would have. I really do think that having a partner and it's key to figure out who that partner is. Like, I think most people make the mistake of doing an extreme. They either go out and find their best friend and say, hey, let's start a business together. And that is not a good idea. Or they they partner with someone that they don't know well enough to have like consistent value systems. Um, Stacy and I do not have the same ideologies. We we are very different on many axes, but our base values are very similar. And so if you don't have that, like if you start a business with your best friend, the problem is your lives overlap too much. Stacy and I do not live next door to each other. We don't go to the same church. We don't have children in the same school. And the beauty in that is that we have our own space to go back to which keeps us grounded in our individualism. I think if you spend too much time with your partner, you start to think alike, and that's dangerous because you stop pushing each other and questioning each other and and challenging each other. But the other thing I think we also do is we, we balance each other out when the other is struggling. So there were times when, you know, something would go wrong and I would just think, oh, Like, we're never going to figure it out. And she would be like, okay, let's think about it. Like, what are we going to do? And there were times when she was like, oh, this isn't working. And I was like, no, let's think about it. What are we going to do? And, you know, one of the scenarios we describe in our book, which was actually pretty emotional to write about, we had an experience in our very first business where we were visiting a large Fortune 50 client. And I'm normally the talkative one. So I was leading the presentation. She was kind of taking notes. But it got to the point where they were asking questions that were very specific to Stacy's expertise. But they would look at me and ask me. I didn't notice that because I was like in the moment trying to answer all the questions. It wasn't until after the meeting when we were going back to the airport and I was all excited because we won the project and Stacy was really quiet, which she's normally quiet, but it was different. And I, you know, I said, what's wrong? And she was like, nothing. And then after a minute, she was like, no, I'm really bothered by the fact that they wouldn't address me. Right. And, and of course, we both deal with the lens of being in a room and being the only women. But she also has the lens of being a person of color. And she felt like she was being excluded from the conversation And at first she was, I think, a little frustrated that I didn't notice it. But then she said, well, wait a minute, that's on me to tell Lara about it. So we had this great conversation, not about being judgmental and saying, well, why didn't you notice? And well, why didn't you do this? Instead, we sort of looked at it and said, okay, how do we keep it from happening again? What can we do as business partners in the next meeting to make sure that we are very clear about the fact that Stacy has this expertise. I have this expertise. We are both partners in the room. No one is to be excluded. Everyone needs to be valued. And so we focused on some tactics we could try, and it worked. I mean, the next meetings, we didn't have that issue anymore. But she needed me to be that advocate, right, to be a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And having a partner allows you to see your blind side. 
If she hadn't been there, I wouldn't have noticed. If she hadn't brought it up, I wouldn't have noticed. And so having that partner that can sort of be listening while you're talking to say, hmm, I noticed this. We need to address it. You can't put a price tag on that. It's invaluable. Oh, my gosh. And talk about like leading with empathy, because for both of you, that requires so much, one, just emotional intelligence and two, being humble, right? Enough to say, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize something or I needed someone to tell me something, which we all do. We all have blind spots. That's why. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to be surrounded by people that you think are the smartest people in the room, right? So that they can teach you something and you can learn and, or especially different people around you, right? That's why like our networks are so important um, and who we keep near and dear to us need to be diverse or else we're all going to have just the same thoughts, right? Or like, like what could have happened if you didn't partner with someone so different. I believe that your network is your net worth. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, think, well, I'm not born into a network. I wasn't born with a network. I don't have parents that, you know, worked in influential positions. Mm-hmm. Stacy didn't, wasn't born with a network. So we both had to start from scratch. But I think the reason we were able to build our network is everyone jokes, I talk to anyone. If you sit next to me on an airplane, I hope you didn't want to read because you will talk to me. Um, If you're bagging my groceries, I will talk to you and I will find out all about you. And if you provide great service, I'll probably offer you a job. I mean, I love to just meet people. And Stacy is the best listener you've ever met. She can sit in a room and listen to other conversations and extract such invaluable insights from it. So together, we are unbeatable right? Because I'll talk to anybody and she listens to everybody. So just having the ability to be curious about people and not judge their value based on what their title is or where you know them from, every single person you meet in a day can add value to your network. You just have to give them a chance. It bugs me. Definitely a pet peeve of mine when people write off someone so quickly oh, maybe they haven't reached a level of success that I think is worth listening to, or maybe they haven't done enough interviews, whatever it is that makes you think they're not worthy of learning something from them. That is such BS. I could learn something new from someone I never expected in a million years. You could even learn or gain like inspiration. Like there's so many different things that can happen if you're so right, if you just give people a chance. You just have to be open-minded. I mean, my very first job out of college, I was working in consulting, and my very first project was with a a fast food restaurant. So I'm an aerospace engineer, right? But (laughs) I'm working on a project to design the restaurant of the future. So we had to be in, I, I spent months in a fast food restaurant trying to figure out how to make the restaurant more efficient. And I had a, had a uniform, had a shirt with my name on it, looked like everybody else behind the counter. But what I was really doing was studying everybody's jobs. And what I quickly realized, my aerospace engineering degree didn't matter at all because the person who had the best ideas on how to make the restaurant better were the people who work in the restaurant. <laughs> so I could study it all day, but it was really the person who'd been doing that task for 15 yeah. years who would say, oh, this would be so much easier if I could do it this way. And so I still remember one of my first conversations with the gentleman who kind of ran the burger line. 
And he said, oh, I heard you went to Georgia Tech. What did you study? And I started to say aerospace engineering. And I thought, you know what? He's not going to relate to that at all. So I said, well, you know, I studied engineering. Um, it's like mechanics. It's like gadgets and putting things together. And he he lit up. He was like, oh, my wow. gosh, I love working on my car. I love mechanics. And wow. I was like, oh, it's the same thing. So from that point on, we totally connected. And I learned everything I put in my report about how to improve things came from him. Yeah. And I highlighted him. I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys just need to talk to him more. He has great ideas. But you're judging the fact that he has spent his entire career making burgers on a burger line. You think I have better ideas because I have a degree in, in rocket science. The reality is he has the better ideas. I just wrote them down for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, what this, I think, completely takes us into is the conversation of fintech and technology, lead with technology, but remain empathetic, right? And that is the whole premise of what you and Stacy have built with now and in just enabling more minority-owned small businesses to grow through its payment solution and kind of just redefining the fact that small business owners aren't supposed to be these like finance whizzes and we shouldn't just throw out these jargons and terms and solutions at them thinking we can give these one size fits all situations. They have to be customized. They have to work for them and they have to understand it. Like imagine what you just said, that story of the person you worked with at the restaurant. Now imagine if fintech operators could actually do the same thing, but with the users that they work with. That's exactly what we did with Now Account. I mean, not because we thought that was the smart way to do it. We didn't have finance backgrounds. So we were the person on the burger line, right? We were the one experiencing the pain. But I think you, you, you are so spot on. To me, what is so exciting about fintech is that fintech may be the only industry that touches every single person on this planet. And it's not the way we think. Mm -hmm. The world of finance doesn't touch everybody. Nobody wakes up on a Monday morning and says, I think I'll get a loan for fun. But fintech includes things like payments. Payments touches every single person, whether you like it or not. You buy things, you sell things, you engage in some form of a payment transaction. And because it's so prolific and it really democratizes the movement of money, I think that fintech, especially through the payment space, has the ability to be the great equalizer, has the ability to give every person on this planet who buys and sells anything equal access to those types of transactions. But the only way to do that is to unthink the way we used to think about it. When Stacy and I had our business nourish and we ran into this problem of waiting to get paid and we needed access to cash, Everybody said, go get a loan or try factoring. That's the old way of thinking about things. We didn't need a loan. We didn't need factoring. We just needed to be paid faster. Yeah. And so it was because we didn't know enough, we weren't smart enough in finance, that we asked seemingly stupid questions like, well, why can't I just get paid faster? Why do I have to go borrow money? Why do I have to do financy type things? Why can't I just get paid? And so it was honestly, Stacy and I were sitting at a restaurant having lunch, complaining about the fact that we weren't getting paid. And we thought, wait a minute, 
This restaurant never waits to get paid. That's so unfair. Why is that? Oh, well, it's because they take credit cards. Because before the credit card system, all retailers waited to get paid. That's why they all had house accounts. But the credit card system changed all of that. And so we were inspired by what the credit card system had done. And we said, how could we do the same thing for small, underrepresented businesses in the B2B space? And that's how two non-finance people can build a fintech company, is by understanding the problem, being empathetic, asking really stupid questions because they're the best, (laughs) and then just finding people that could help us. And the only way to do that is to just be, you know, nobody's out there to steal your idea. Go out and find people who know how to do different things and say, this is what I'm trying to do. How can you help me? And we were just surrounded by the greatest people who were willing to help. I love that. And you perfectly, you know, kind of shared that story or moment where I think you really found fintech to be the place where you'd find your sense of belonging, right? Okay, I have this problem as I'm building these businesses. And let's just go ahead and build the solution. A lot of people ask me all the time, why do I stay in fintech? Or why do I like to keep covering the industry? And it's for this reason. It's for so many people in the world, especially women and people of color that don't have access to basic financial tools and technology has this promise or fintech has this promise to be able to make that a reality. And that mission is what will keep me in this industry for and, and keeping the industry accountable for as long as it takes. Right. Yeah. And I think it takes leaders like you like Stacy to come in and not from a finance background. Right. I think some of the best leaders in fintech don't come from a finance background because you guys have the you have the different ideologies. You can yeah. you you're, you're inspired by other things, and then you can bring in people that have worked in the industry to help you and yeah. build out your team. But you just have such a fresh take on what's going on. Well, and I think when I knew that fintech was going to be such a welcoming industry for like people with different backgrounds. I still remember my very first panel that I sat on and it was very intimidating, right? Because I'm sitting on this panel with a group of older men. One was like a senior executive at a global bank. That was scary. Another came from kind of a local bank and then there was a CDFI and then there was an equity investor. And I just, you know, initially my thought is, oh my gosh, like I don't know as much as they do. But as we went down, I was lucky. I was at the end of the table where I wasn't the first one to introduce myself. And as we went down the table and each of them started talking, they launched into, you know, their financial institution and the lending products they had and, you know, the five C's of credit and all the things you had to do. And I'm watching this room of beautifully optimistic entrepreneurs sitting there. They're sitting up straight and they're, they're, they're like eager for knowledge. But as each person introduced themselves... I saw the audience sit lower and lower in their chair. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're here to enable them, not to put barriers up in front of them. So, right, right. And I thought, quite quite frankly, they're the heroes of our economy. The people in the audience are the heroes here, right? We're just the helpers, you know, which I always find funny when bankers talk at small business owners instead of with them, because it's the small business owner that drives the economy. You're just there to help. So as I'm watching this, I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to start by introducing myself. I started with a question and I said, who in this audience 
has heard words like basis points or BIPs and thinks that a BIP is something bad that happens on your computer screen and you just want it to go away. <laughs> and the whole room just started, you know, clapping and laughing because I'd given them permission to not know everything and not be intimidated by all these financy type words. And I think that is so critical because the whole point of fintech is to meet people where they are and help them evolve, not to be out there like wowing people with our Wall Street language and our technology language. If you're way out there and you turn around and nobody's behind you, you're not a leader anymore. You're just a wanderer. What is a piece of advice that you would give to my audience, i.e. the fintech operators and, and leaders in this space who you know, maybe feel a bit like an outsider or feel like they are still finding their sense of belonging in the industry? I have a piece of advice and a challenge because they go together. If you come from outside the industry, you have the greatest skill set you could ever have, which is a fresh perspective. Don't do yourself the disservice of thinking that coming from the outside is a negative or a challenge to be overcome. Coming from the outside is what makes you valuable. So don't lose that. Don't lose that outside perspective. Don't lose that curiosity. Don't lose that willingness to ask a question that you think everyone might think is stupid. It is the best question you could ever ask. So view yourself as a positive, not a negative. The mm -hmm. challenge I would then say for the whole industry is we have an unprecedented opportunity here to be the great equalizer, to level the playing field for underrepresented businesses, underrepresented individuals, to truly allow the economy to level up in a way that's inclusive of everyone. We have that opportunity and it's lucrative, right? So let's not kid ourselves. This is not an industry of nonprofits, right? We have the opportunity to make an incredible amount of value, but with opportunity comes responsibility. And we need to feel the burden as a fintech industry that we have the responsibility to drive innovation that is inclusive. And that's not easy because a lot of times we think that we're being inclusive because we're including one group that maybe wasn't included before. But if including one group means excluding another group, that's not good. And so we have to challenge our innovativeness, our creativity, and I'll give you an example. When we first started Now Account and we were talking to some of the leaders in the, in the fintech space, like Intuit, we were so focused on how cool our technology was. But what they thought was amazing is that we had combined this amazing technology that allowed people to get paid immediately. But we still allowed people to, to send in paper checks. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't sound high tech. That sounds like my grandmother's finance <laughs> company, Right. Right. The reason we did that is all small businesses are not ready for ACH, Wire, EDI, like all this fancy whiz-bang technology. Some small businesses are still sitting on a job site with a paper tablet, and they have to write a check. And so Intuit was impressed that we had thought about that. Now, over time, would we love to move all of those people to a more streamlined way? Yes, absolutely. But we can't start out here and expect them to make that leap. We have to help them. 
And so I do think that we have an awesome responsibility in the fintech space, because if we leap ahead with just technology, we may look more inclusive. But what about my grandmother? Have we left her behind because she's not ready for the technology yet? How do we help everyone? Um, And that is my challenge is I would love more outsiders to come in with fresh perspectives. And then I would love all of us to make sure that when we are developing solutions, those solutions are as inclusive as possible. I think you said it best that in, in a way that I've always wanted to put out there, which is even if we're being more inclusive for a group that has been historically exclusive, we cannot be overly inclusive exclusive. Right. We have to be inclusive of everyone. And for me, content wise, that has been so important with what the fintech, with humans of fintech. I didn't make this a women only show for a reason. I wanted everyone to hear these stories. I wanted everyone to feel included. And that was the the point. And that's hard. I think people see a woman host, they see pink in my newsletter. They see my Beyonce gifts and women-centric energy and think that it isn't for them, but it is. Like, it's for everyone. And that's, I think, how the fintech industry and the leaders in the space need to think more of as well. No matter who you are, no matter how you identify, the reason we're all here and left whatever industry we used to be in was for this, was to create the most inclusive and equitable financial playing field possible. And we have the technology to do it. And that's why it's so exciting. Like bear market or not, it gets me hyped. So I think um, especially in a bear market, I got to be honest, I think the greatest innovations come from crisis. The greatest innovations, your greatest idea happens when you lack resources. That's true of everybody. Because if you have unlimited resources, that's easy. You don't have to get creative to be successful. So, you know, I know a lot of people might think, oh, we're going into a challenging market. Now may not be the time. Now is the time because you only level the playing field when you're going through challenging times. When everything is flowing, you don't have to level the playing field. You know, your comment about making sure that we're inclusive of all, that's Part of why Stacy and I named our book Level Up is because one way you can get ahead is by pulling someone else down. That never works, ever, ever, ever. So the only way to do it is to level up, level everyone up, because if we can do that, then we all benefit. So well said. I cannot wait to get my hands on this book and just devour it probably in like a couple of days because that's how I like to do it. <laughs> but I, I, so many amazing insights. One of my favorite questions to ask my guests, if we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in FinTech and how will you embody it? What I want to see in FinTech is for us to become more inclusive on axes we haven't thought about. And I'll give you an example. Um, I am passionate about this concept of inclusive entrepreneurship. And a lot of people think that means, you know, more women in businesses, more minority in businesses. And, and that does mean that. That absolutely is front and center. But I think we have to expand that. For example, um, when Stacy and I first had Nourish, which was our bottled water for children, and we tried to access capital, everybody said, you're not a high tech startup. And I remember thinking, well, wait a minute. 
I am in Atlanta, Georgia, in the shadows of the Coca-Cola company. I think you can build value with a beverage company, right? (laughs) Mrs. Fields makes cookies. You don't have to be a high-tech startup. But all too often, the industries that control the access to capital have very focused, like if you're not in a certain sector or you're not a certain type of company, that you're you're somehow a second-class entrepreneur. We have to stop that. We have to be inclusive of all kinds of entrepreneurs, people who intended to be an entrepreneur when they were five and people who became a mother and became an entrepreneur out of necessity. We have to be inclusive of people who start cookie companies and people who start fintech companies. You know, we have to be inclusive of people of all ages, all Mm -hmm. identities, all races. And so we all have these, these blind spots and apertures that we have to widen. And that creates bigger markets. It's good for all of us to be more inclusive of these types of folks. And so, you know, I want to see the industry continue to be more inclusive. I challenge my company. You know, people often say, well, because you have sort of a woman-founded and woman-run company, you must have all women. And I'm like, oh, God, no, that would be just as bad as a company of all men. Um, So I always challenge my teammates Even within our company, look to your left, look to your right. If the two people next to you look like you move, like (laughs) physically get up and move because you always want to be around people that bring different perspectives. And so I think we just have to, we have the ability to change the narrative Yes. and everyone will listen to us because we're access to money. (laughs) So (laughs) we should use our powerful voice for good. Hell Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, everything you say is is perfection and and gold. So I love that you talk so much. It brings me so much joy. I think the listeners are going to love this so much. I sure hope you do. I think Stacy will be so proud of you. So she should be so proud to have you as a partner. You are so wonderful, Laura. Thank you so much for Thank everything you. you have shared on this show. My final question for you, what can we expect from you next? <laughs> So we are getting ready to launch, actually, coming out of the pandemic, in addition to Now Account, our payment system that allows people to get paid immediately, we're launching the Now Network. And what the network is going to do is take small and underrepresented business owners and connect them to customers that they otherwise would not have connections to. And really what we're doing is we're taking this beautiful network that we built through Now Account and we're letting people connect to each other. And we're curating those connections. And I'm so excited because I see in these small underrepresented businesses such potential. And then I see if I can just connect them to the customers And yes, I'll continue to get them paid faster, but I truly do believe that we can level the playing field by helping support the growth of small businesses. Um, And that's what creates generational wealth. That's what creates sustainable value for our communities. And that's my goal. (laughs) I love it. It's an area of FinTech that I constantly cover for this exact reason. I think there's so much room to grow. There's so much help that can be done. We just have to be intentional and it'll take leaders like you to help get us there. So thank you for all of the work that you do. Thank you so much for joining, joining my podcast. I'm so honored that you have, that you're closing out my season two. (laughs) So such a banger. I hope everyone enjoys this episode. I have had so much fun. Me too. Vibing with you today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the season two finale of Humans of Fintech. It has been so much fun recording this season for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for all the support. If you want to support even more, be sure to hit that five-star review. 
and I'm just so excited to create more content for you. Stay tuned for season three.